Welcome to the Mac PFD Sparkle podcast. This is Ruth Chen, and in the Sparkle subseries, we'll bring you shorter segments released in between our longer Spark episodes. We'll have new and exciting interviews with professionals from across the world, helping you to achieve your personal and professional goals as a healthcare educator, researcher, leader, or practitioner at any stage of your career. So sit back, listen, and enjoy this episode of the Mac PFD Sparkle Podcast. Today, Dr. Alim Nagji discusses teaching in virtual spaces with guest Ali Prabhani. In this episode, Dr. Prabhani reflects on the barriers for professionals adapting to the virtual environment now and in the future. Dr. Prabhani also shares his expertise on how to optimize the teaching process with different tool integrations and practical techniques. So welcome everyone to this month's episode of Dear Supervisor. I'm your host Alim Nagji back again for another episode. Really excited to have joining us today the world famous Dr. Ali Prabhani. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure of meeting this young lad here, he's a professor of medicine, internal medicine endocrinology at McMaster University. He's a clinical educator and he served as a program director for a number of years. So bringing a wealth of experience to our show today. We're really fortunate to have him here. He's had quite a number of opportunities to teach around the globe and we're excited to chat with him today. Ali, the question we have for you today and that I wanted to pick your brain on was really around teaching in the virtual space. I think many of us have had the challenge in COVID from transitioning, you know, rounds from in-person to virtual. A lot of our teaching sessions have had to go it. And I thought we could have a chat around that and you could share some of your tips and experience in that area. Sure, no, thank you for your kind introduction, uh, Alim. Before I start and answer that question, this is probably going to be the norm for a long long time or we're probably going to be going towards more of a hybrid system as things get better unfortunately as we discussed earlier things are getting better fingers crossed as long as we get the vaccine and adhere to these public health measures but you know in our profession healthcare profession teaching is very important it's a high stake teaching we have to deliver excellent patient care and the only way we can do that if we learn from our mentors and from the evidence based medicine that we have And as I said, since this is going to become the norm, we have to become familiar with the virtual teaching, no matter what kind of medicine you do or what kind of healthcare delivery you do, especially when on-site delivery of teaching is not feasible or compromised as it is right now. Many people feel that there's a lot of barriers. It is true because we're not used to this, especially with the many not having experience. There's a lot of time constraints. There might be technical issues. The infrastructure not be, might not be there. And the lack of the support from our institution. Fortunately, we have great support, so we're lucky in that sense. So I just wanted to. put a framework how important that virtual teaching is going to be right now and in the future. The first question that I often get asked is what platform should you use and everyone's sort of webex and zoom in fact we're all probably all zoom fatigued just <laughs> as we are right now at like 6:20 p.m. on a long day. <laughs> the most important thing probably is is when you're choosing a platform which is really important is to make sure you're comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. It's fitting to the teacher and to the student. And you have some experience. You don't want to go onto a new platform and you don't know how to use it. You don't know how to navigate it. They're all pretty straightforward, but you become comfortable. I'm more of a Zoom person because that's the one I'm using a lot of. I do use other ones, but I'm much more savvy at Zoom because I've been using it a lot. You want to also look at additional capabilities that these platforms have, in particular screen sharing, making sure they have security features. Cost is usually not that big an issue for small groups. Breakout rooms is a good thing, having a whiteboard ability to share documents and the ability to record as you're doing right now. So these are some important features about which platform to use. 
And I think that's a great point about being familiar. I remember being asked to give, you know, one of the presentations and then realizing as I was logging on that it was, you know, a, a platform I wasn't as familiar with. So I think there's also something to be said for being comfortable and then also integrating different areas. So if the software you're using doesn't have something, you know, we've had great success integrating things like some of the Google Docs platforms using like Jamboard as like a virtual whiteboard or, or using a Google Docs and screen sharing. And, and so you can feel free to kind of mix and match as well, because I, I feel like there isn't one that has everything I want yet. It, it's a little bit of a bit of this one and a bit of that one. But you have a really good point that you need to be familiar with it before you go in for your first day, right? You've hit a lot of points that you want a varied platform. And, you know, looking and using a lot of them, a lot of them have most things. It's just the way how you navigate. The comfort of navigation is a big thing, right? There are some minor nuances that you said, but at the end of the day, pick one. If you're comfortable with it, go with it. And you'll find that there's a lot of neat tools within all of them. So I think the biggest thing after choosing a platform is how to prepare. As we know, anything in medicine, preparation is important. It takes two minutes to do an LP, but it's the preparation, opening <laughs> the kit, washing your hands, putting your gloves on, making sure the garbage can is close by. So same thing for online or virtual teaching. There are some challenges, obviously, you know, there's no physical teaching environment. We're missing the clinical teaching environment and the students are not physically present. So that makes it even more difficult. So we have to be really careful by really preparing well. So four important points when you're preparing for online teaching. Number one, communicate to the students. And if someone else is hosting with you, what's the minimum technology required to set up this platform? If you don't know how to use it, if you don't know how to log in, you're going to waste 20 minutes <laughs> out of the 60 minutes you have or the 20 minutes you have doing nothing. In advance, if someone's not used to this or if it's new for the students, provide some online tutorials so they get familiar or prepare in advance how to get into this new technological sphere. You might want to hold a practice session with your family member, your child, your uncle, your mom, your dad, or someone you know. So you may want to make sure things go smoothly, right? And they can give you feedback also. I do it with my daughter all the time. She's very critical and in a nice way. And she gives me excellent <laughs> feedback. That's very helpful. And another key thing is share the materials, any information that you have, any PDF articles that you have with the student advance. So they're more engaged when you actually do the presentation and they're prepared. It gives them a sense of commitment and they're not slack, quote unquote, slacking off during this teaching because if they have their cameras off, which I'm going to talk about in a second, it's not going to be an effective online teaching or virtual teaching environment. I think that's key is really having a sense of giving the learner that empowerment of what they're going to be walking into. And it's kind of like we used to do in clinical scenarios, right? If you think of if students were coming in for an academic day or something like that, we'd give them a sense of these are the topics, these are the schedules, sort of that road mapping what the day is going to look like and any resources we can share with them in advance. We've been doing some virtual sim and have had some great success sending out videos of how to use the software beforehand. So for those who are you know pretty quick at picking up tech, and I think most millennials are, they kind of just fly through it. But for those who know, oh, I'm not so great with technology, they really find that that's a valuable resources to have. And I'm finding more and more to these days, you know, I'm working with a lot of seniors too. It's not that difficult. People pick up the skill pretty quickly. It just takes a little bit of reading, a little bit of help and support. So it's not that difficult after some experience. Another question that I often get asked, unless you had another question for me, Aline. Well, you, I... you piqued my interest with the webcam on webcam off debate. And I'm very curious to hear which side you're on. Okay. I'll get to that in a second, because that's a very important question that you have. Another question that I get asked often is, should you pre-record your session or do it live? My simple answer, probably a hybrid situation. If you just pre-record, it becomes very didactic. If you do it live, there's no formal preparation. You need a little bit of theory, you need a little bit of didacticness. So, so probably a mixed session is the best because it allows for some theory, it allows discussion, and it allows a significant amount of engagement and a QA. Probably in terms of any adult learning that we do these days, probably the Q&A is probably the most important part. In fact, many colleges, whether it's the Family Physician College, the Royal College, 
For accreditation, mandates about 25% time devoted for accreditation to Q&A or some kind of engagement or interactions. That's very, very important. Another thing, the pre-recorded part, a small part of it, it has the advantage of, it avoids some of the technological glitches if things don't work out. At least they get the theory. But usually these days, it's not that big a deal unless you're in sub-Saharan Africa where the generator, generator is going off all the time. I do these sessions for Uganda every so often, and that is an issue. So we, we, have, a, <laughs> we have to have a pre-recorded session. So your, your question was uh, the camera off, camera on. That's, that's, that's a very, very important question that you're asking. And I'm going to get to that because I have some important comments that I wanted to make regarding that. So generally speaking, the simple answer to that question is before engaging the students or sending out that email for an invitation for a session, I do remind the students that the camera should be on. Unless there's some copyright issue in certain public schools, they don't allow that. You need to, you need to sign a waiver. But in medical teaching, it's not that big a deal. So I would say simple answer for online teaching, the camera should be on because we know that when cameras are off, they might be slacking off or multitasking or unless they have to go to the washroom or they, they won't <laughs> please they turn want, your camera off. <laughs> yeah, they, just, they just won't be engaged. Right. And you, and the eye contact is so important to engage. The other thing that teacher can evaluate is actually, are they comprehending the material? Because there's a lot of visual cues you get in real life setting, which you may not get here unless the camera is on. And if you don't get those visual cues, you might be talking on and on and on, and you might not uh, see if the, if the student is comprehending. I think that's the part I find hard as an educator. And I know that's a bit of a biased perspective of thinking of it from my lens, but it is hard when you see a bunch of black screens. You also don't know how to gauge how your talk is going, right? Are people enjoying it? Are people engaged? Are they um, understanding? Do they have questions that they're not asking? You could read a lot of that from facial expressions. And so I definitely do like to, to ask for it. And I, I'm kind of in the same camp where I, I do prefer the webcams on. Of course, having the option for students to say, hey, look, if your internet sucks, or there's another reason that you can't have your camera on, no judgment, you do your thing. I mean, I'm guilty of working out during Zoom calls all the time. And so I understand that for, for for the students for sometimes they're spending, you know, eight hours a day in Zoom, they can get pretty tired of it that you need to stretch or stand and stuff like that. But I do think from an educator perspective, that engagement you were talking about is much more valuable because I find that that's the part I really miss from the in-person sessions. I like joking around with the students, making them laugh, hearing what they think, and then being able to tell when your talk's really going off the rails. Yes, I agree. And getting back to telling them in advance that they should have their cameras should yeah. be on. There's other few housekeeping things that'll set the tone also. So when you do invite the students or there is a session, it's good to set the tone early, whether this is going to be a professional type interaction or more laid back. And that's important for them to know. You don't want to be joking around too much unless it's a different type of session and really set the rules that are important. Also, making sure that everyone's muted when they're not speaking. So there's no feedback. And that can be a real annoyance, as you know, and letting them know when to ask questions. And there is, if it's a very, going to be a very long session, you need to have some break time. You can't go for three hours without a break at all. So that's important to also do. I've already spoken about the video on and off kind of thing. And it's really important that the teacher really does look to the students rather than wandering, looking around around, because it's not going to be very engaging. And it's okay to use hand gestures as long as you're not going crazy, right? That's important. And you're not covering the camera all the time. It's really important to tell the students in advance that this engagement is going to reflect their evaluation. Not to scare them, but to let them know this is a, re it's a professional engagement, it's an academic engagement, engagement, and it's going to affect their assessment, whether it's formal or informal. And another thing for the teacher is leave lots of time for Q&A, as I've already mentioned. And pace yourself. We talked about the lag time, right? So I try my hardest. I speak fast in general, just like I think both of us do. <laughs> yeah. But I try extra hard on interactive sessions to really try to pace myself a little bit slower because of the technological lag time that can occur. So that's really, really important. 
For all of you who are trying to listen to this podcast at uh, 1.25, you're going to struggle with the two of us speaking. (laughs) The other thing is you asked me about, or you mentioned and asked about how to really engage students. And this is really important because when you actually do do these sessions, use their names, make it personal, right? Don't use you, you know, use Adam or if it's a miss or mister or doctor, use their names, tell them that there's a chat box if they do want to communicate. And there's also time for breakout rooms sometimes. So these things are going to make it very engaging. Even many discussions, asking questions throughout the presentation is very helpful rather than just doing a didactic thing. There's other tools that we can use also that make these things fun and gaming, creating polls. There's a free software program called Poll Everywhere, which I find students love. Word cloud, right? These things are very, very popular. Whiteboards, polls. And then when you do all these things, you might want to not pick on a student, but say, hey, open-endedly, does someone want to summarize the main points of what we discussed today? Because that shows that there's engagement in understanding, especially if you set the tone that this is important for their learning and it does reflect their evaluation also. And you want to assess for feedback both ways. So you want to give students feedback, probably individually at the end. And you also want to ask for feedback to yourself also to see if you can do this better. At the end of the day, we always want to do things better, right? Every time you do this, you want to do it better. So those are some important things that I communicate uh, to the students. One of the challenges we find sometimes is how to manage a large class. Yeah. Arbitrarily, more than 20 students, more than 25 students, That's where breakout sessions are really helpful, where if you have five people, you don't need a breakout session because that intuitively, that is a breakout session in itself. So large groups, it's very helpful to have breakout sessions only if you have adequate time. If you have a 20 minute session, it's really hard to do a breakout session because you're going to spend so much time doing the breakout. You're not going to have enough time for the actual interaction. But that's where if it's a short session, chat windows are very, very important. Mm -hmm. So something on on anonymity, some people don't feel really uh, pointed at, right? I really like the poll softwares for for that type of session. You know, being able to use something like Poll Everywhere, which has PowerPoint integration, I found is very helpful. I like Kahoot because it yes. has that real gamification and the points and there's a winner and there's also a speed element. So not just getting the correct answer, but also how fast you answer. So I think those are really nice ways. And, you know, your point around collecting feedback, I actually drop a poll everywhere at the end to say, like, what did you think of the talk? I use it to as kind of a litmus test as we're going. They have like a smiley face to angry face kind of thing. And I, I usually replace those with fun emojis and they can kind of like rate the talk as it's going. You can ask for if you want faster or slower. And it really gives you some immediate, some of those responses we were talking about that we're missing with the, with the learners, you really get that with the poll software. So I have found that that really helps drive engagement, especially in the really large groups. And I think one thing you mentioned, which is really important is I think we all, for the most part, use PowerPoint and these can be incorporated into PowerPoint, which is really, really helpful, right? You don't have to use another software or get the AV person on. So the fact that you can incorporate poll everywhere into PowerPoint makes it very, very easy for people who use PowerPoint. And that's 99% of us. And another population that can be challenging, which we have to deal with, and these are often very bright students, is the shy and the reticent student, one who's not going to be forthcoming. And I think for those students, you have to somehow explain again why online engagement is important for their learning, for evaluations and so on. And that way they get clued in that they have to part, they might not participate 100%, but more than they would have if you hadn't stressed this right at the front. And also you want to check on them periodically, even after the class, because you might have other sessions to tell them that, what is there, is there anything going on? Do you need some kind of supports? Maybe there's something else going on with these students, right? And you want to make sure, not be nosy, but see if you want to identify any other barriers in their mind, if, there, if there's some other issues going on to see if you can help them become more engaged, because you never want to assume that they're just shy just because that's their nature. There might be something else going on. You, you want to identify that. Again, polls are very helpful again. And another thing that I find helpful not with just shy students, but with everyone, is having a pre and a post quiz. That way they have to prepare, they're engaged, and they feel good if they have the right answer. 
So this is like a triple or a quadruple whammy for them, right? And tell them beforehand that there will be a pre and post quiz. So they take it very seriously, especially if you send relevant material. So th this is always like feedback. It's like Pavlov, right? It's, it's actually positive feedback, uh, reinforcement, psychological feedback. So I find that quite helpful. And it gives people a sense of what they know coming into the session. And especially if, like you mentioned, we're doing a lot of Q&A and everything like that. You might have people who kind of coming into the session already know, oh, you know, on the pre-questions, I didn't do so well in these areas. These are the areas I'm going to focus, ask some more questions. And then afterwards to be able to show, oh, I've actually learned in those areas can actually be really rewarding for participants in the session. And they actually feel like, oh, this is actually a good kind of use of time. I really liked also the point you were making about engaging our learners who might be struggling, but many of us are having challenges. And so reaching out to the participants in our groups, I know we don't get the same face-to-face -face contact with both our colleagues, our participants, our learners. And so still having that awareness to reach out. And I think that's a great idea, dropping an email, using the chat box, you know, kind of following up with learners who you noticed might not have been as active as they normally were. I think that's a really great reminder for us that we should be looking out for those who may be having additional challenges in this current climate. And at the end of the day, no matter what we do, what's our end goal, right? It's to capacity build, right? Because one day we're not going to be around and we want to make sure our students build on this, right? And no matter what they end up doing, we want to make sure they have sustainable endpoints and they uh, deliver to the community. And a lot of it's going to be based on the way we teach. Remember, it's not about what we teach. It's about the way we teach, right? Mm -hmm. That knowledge transference, the KT sort of approach is going to be very important, which has to be effective. In fact, some of the best professors that I had, I remember were incredible teachers. They might not have been the most popular or the most published, but they were incredible teachers and engaging and fun and had a bit of humor, but made it really, really worthwhile, whether it was high school or first year university, especially I remember my astronomy class, it's probably one of the most, <laughs> that I remember I learned so much and, and because they were very engaging. Yeah. And I think that's the role that a lot of us want to play as educators. And I think one of the one of the big things that we have to think about as well in this online forum, and I'm, I'm curious if you have thoughts about how you do this, you know, you mentioned setting expectations with your learners when they come into online sessions, but then how do you close the loop on that? How do you give them feedback in these online sessions? Because I find that that's been challenging interactions because it is over Zoom. It, sometimes you have the group effect that's going on there. So how do you manage that? It's really easy if it's a small group. If it's a small group, I'll just shoot them an email. Or I'll just verbally, when I see them in the clinical setting with the mask on, obviously, on the ward, I'll tell them verbally that this is how you did. And I'll be specific. You know, you answered this question well. You know, you really knew a lot about the new cardiovascular therapies and diabetes. I'll be very specific. You got to be specific also. You can't just say, mm. you did well. So yeah. <laughs> the problem is when you have a large group, then you often depend on evaluations, right? Then often we get, you have to do summative evaluations. So that's probably the challenge of large group evaluations, right? If I do see them in person, I'm not going to see all 25 or 50. The ones I do see, I will give them feedback, whether it's positive or constructive. I don't use the word negative, but I use constructive. One of the constructive things I often say is that next time, you know, I think you have a lot of potential, maybe try to contribute more. That way they feel that the potential part that they have it, but they just need to speak up a little bit more. So there's always a good thing. So they don't feel bad about those things. That's great. And how have you used the online teaching? You mentioned you were teaching in Uganda, as I know you've done for, for a number of years. How has that been? Because I, I feel like there's so many technical challenges, at least from my experience yeah. in, in different parts yeah, of the world. Yeah. So in different parts of the world. So globally, you know, Uganda is lucky. They have a, it's a very advanced group of people. The technology is there. The problem is the generator. Mm. There's places in Uganda. The generator in certain places can break down. If the army's got to go in somewhere, everything's shut down, right? As you know, recently with the elections there, they had to shut down the internet, right? on an internet. So these things happen. The second issue is I have to wake up at four in the morning. <laughs> That's okay once in a while, right? The good thing is I can just wear my pajamas and wear a nice shirt because no one's going to see my pajamas. So the timing is a, is a big issue, but it's not that difficult. They have dedicated AV people in many of these countries, whether it's India, Uganda, Kenya, 
or South Africa, they have dedicated AV people who can coordinate it. So my job is just to log in and they tell me when, what platform to use. And it's actually been pretty successful. I haven't had any big major issues from Canada. You know, you started the the conversation with what does the future look like? And you're talking about a hybrid model. And I'm really hopeful that this is one of the things that does come as a positive from this, that maybe we can actually really reinforce that global community of medicine that, that many people like yourself have spent so many years dedicated to. I hope that we can bring people together from all these different countries, harnessing technology to a greater extent. No, that's an important point because for the last few years, I've been traveling all over the world for two, three day meetings. It's nice to go to Europe for two, three days, but I'm tired of that. You know, it's so nice now. All the meetings I've been to now have been virtual. It's great. I just realized I don't have to go to Spain for a two day meeting where I get to see Spain for a couple hours, right? I can just do it here and go to Spain when I want to go for vacation, when the time comes and it's safe, right? So this is going to be the norm. I think conferences, big conferences are going to be virtual for the most part. It's cheaper. It's effective. You have more time with your family, which is probably the most important thing for me. So I think things are going to be very different. I think there will be a time for in-person conferences, but it's not going to be as uh, intense as it was, uh, was in the past. It's going to be very different because all our medical rounds are all virtual. Even our endocrine conference and our internal medicine conference, it's totally virtual. One difference that's going to happen, Aline, is, you know, we used to have these two full-day conferences. That's total Zoom fatigue. Yeah. It's going to be broken up now. So yeah. instead of having a three-day conference, it's going to be divided over probably a few months. So people don't get Zoom or platform fatigue. So that's going to be a little bit different. And I don't mind that. I'd rather do one three-hour session on a Friday rather than do three full days where you're going to be tired and your learning is just going to not going to be effective at all, right? And it's interesting because when we were talking about you know virtual teaching, I think that we may actually end up doing better teaching in some extent because that's like spaced repetition in effect, right? And there's already some data to suggest that the learning you get from a single conference once a year is it doesn't stay with you. It's super high as you walk out the doors on day three, and then you know a month later it all drops off. So hopefully these sort of uh, little bursts of education and, and learning, kind of like how we're delivering to people's iPhones and Androids right in their hand. Hopefully uh, that content is going to be more widely available and allows us to learn on a more ad hoc basis. Especially when you have these long meetings in terms of teaching again, physical versus uh, virtual. When you're on these long meetings at twelve o'clock, you have this large cheesecake. You know what's going to happen? After <laughs> How much can you learn after cheesecake, right? You're going to be all that tryptophan. You're just wiped. I know. I, I you know, and, and I think this way, at least you have control over what you eat. And at home, I think we're more careful rather than all the cheesecake and all the potato chips we get at these places as snacks. So there's many advantages of virtual teaching. There are some things that we have to be careful with, with online teaching. I would say 99% is beneficial, but there's 1% is the security stuff which is can be overcome. So most of the platforms are pretty secure, but we have to really do a few things that to, to mitigate risk. One of them is the students should use their real names and only let the students enter after you've entered. Uh, make sure the video's on, just not for engagement, but for security purposes and make sure there's the antivirus software and if possible, password that should be uh, there, making sure you minimize risk of security. And the other key important in medical areas or healthcare areas is make sure there's no patient information. You sometimes mm-hmm. we, we might forget, you might discuss a case. So we have to be very careful. So initials are okay, but please, uh, we have to make sure we don't use any patient information. And lastly, make sure your platform's updated. Zoom always asks you, do you want to update? I don't do it every time, but periodically you should be updating your platform because there might be some new things and better security type software. That's great. I mean, these are some awesome tips really walking us through the platforms to choose, some really great strategies for how to engage our learners, you know, coupling their interactive pieces with in-person opportunities, if that exists for you as well. And we got to really take a tour around the world and hear about a little, a little taste of your global experiences. So it's been a pleasure to have you here. And thanks so much. And hope all our listeners enjoyed today. So to summarize, you know, I thank you for inviting me. I think, like I said, this will be the norm or at least a hybrid version. It's not that difficult. I hope I've convinced most of you about that. And it can be very effective and not that difficult. And we can be very engaging and interactive with online teaching. 
and it's for all learners, whether you're medical, non-medical, whether you're doing faith-based stuff or non-faith-based stuff, where it's business, we're all using this kind of stuff. And we have many, many platforms available and it's for all kinds of learners. So that's, I just wanted to summarize that in terms of virtual teaching. I like it. <laughs> that's great. Thanks a lot for uh, listening in everyone. Good luck, everyone. Wish you all the best. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mac PFD Spark podcast. Just so you know, this podcast has been brought to you by the McMaster Faculty of Health Sciences and specifically the Office of Continuing Professional Development and the Program for Faculty Development. If you're interested in finding out more about what we can offer for faculty development, check out our website at www.macpfd.ca. That's www.macpfd.ca. Many of our events are actually web events that are free. Finally, I'd like to thank our sound engineer, Mr. Nick Hoskin, who has been an amazing asset to our team. Thanks so much, Nick, for all that you do. And also thank you to Scott Holmes for supplying us the music that you've been listening to. All right, so until next time, this is Mac PFD Spark signing off.